times, but it's um, it's Acts one eight, and it says this, and this is Jesus speaking to his his first disciples, and he said, um, "But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth." And that's really a verse that's a part of the Great Commission, many of you know, but it has a few things packed into it. Um, one of them is the idea of almost a geographic progression of the gospel, how it started in Jerusalem, and then it expanded to some of the boundaries of Judea and Samaria, and then even uh, went to the ends of the earth. And that's one of the principles that guides a lot of our churches, of geographically expanding to get the gospel out. And you know, and there's some that would say there's even a cultural expansion that occurs in your, from your Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, is the different sort of culture and to the ends of the earth obviously um, different culturally as well but um, a lot of times we spend our focus as a church thinking about our Jerusalem here our Jerusalem is the Highlands neighborhood here in Denver um, but this morning we're going to hear a little bit of what God is doing and how he has been witnessing um, of himself in in kind of our Judea in some ways different parts of the state here specifically Golden this morning we're going to hear maybe some of the things that God did there this summer through the Golden Infusion team. And then we also have um, our guest speaker here this morning, Mike Cater, who um, is going to tell us some things that God's been doing uh, at the ends of the earth here, you know, and there'll be some, some neat things there as well. But the first I'm going to just introduce um, uh, some folks from the Golden Infusion team, and they're going to share a little, and then I'll be back and introduce uh, Mike Cater as well. But why don't you w- welcome some of the Golden Infusion crew here. Do you want to hop up here? Just really bad. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my name's Tim. This is Chris and John and Danny. I think you, some of you, have met us. Um, well, uh, yeah. We we just kind of, as some people have been saying, I think Jeremiah said, this is our our last week. Um, we are yeah, coming up on the end. It's pretty crazy. We've been in Golden for almost two months now. Yeah, two months. Um, and we've been living in a fraternity house, and it's been real fun and and just a great opportunity to trust God with a lot of things. We came into this this summer with expectations of God moving in uh, enormous ways and um, the truth is we've seen a lot of it and we've seen uh, God just really uh, move in different ways people ways we weren't expecting and and um, yeah it's it's been really fun to, to kind of watch and um, so we're just going to talk about some of the things that we've been able to do um, we're going to kind of focus on um, different areas of um, influence spheres of influence as we call it but um, it's so we'll, we'll focus on um, just a story from the, the frat house that we've been living in um, and kind of the people that are inside there. We'll also talk a little bit about the campus that we've been on, um, just what we've been able to do there, some of the uh, frat houses, the sorority houses, and then also we'll talk about the community that we've been in. I mean, Golden is, is a, is a decent-sized town, and, and we've been able to outreach to some of the people in the community and, and help out there. So, uh, yeah, we want to talk about that and just um, go, kind of go from there. So I'll have Chris kind of share about um, the frat house that we live in and just a story from there. Yeah, so uh, so we're living in a frat house and um, with kind of two other groups of people. One of those is guys who go to mines and who are part of the fraternity um, during the school year. They're either just living there the summer or taking summer classes. 
and then there's a group of students who are doing research at Mines for the summer um, from different parts of the country who are there. And it's just been a great place uh, to be able to have our meals and build community. Um, but there's one particular guy that, um, yeah, we just wanted to tell a story about because he's uh, his life has just has changed this summer, um, and he has kind of credited us for being there. Um, he was a, a Christian. He knew about Jesus and salvation, but uh, so his name's Matt, and just right away he he jumped in with a lot of stuff we were doing. He started coming to the teachings um, that we were having, um, and he started. Uh, he said we inspired him basically just to like start reading his Bible, and he'd never really opened his Bible before. Um, and to do that, he's also joined um, one of our uh, LTG or accountability groups uh, that we started this summer. So Alexander Meyer and I and Matt have been, uh, yeah, just been in an accountability group. It's been really cool to see him grow, um, to just be reading in the Word uh, this summer. And... Um, yeah, it's it's been real cool just to be a light to those guys as we live in the house um, and to the people who are around us in the fraternity house. Um, another cool place we've been able to have an impact is in the surrounding sororities and fraternities. Um, there's, uh, whatever, four other frat houses and, like, three sororities nearby. And, um, and so we've gotten a chance to invite them to some different things, potlucks on Friday nights, to play volleyball, and whatever, just meeting people. And John and Danny have a, a story that kind of highlights someone we've met from one of the other sororities and um, just how we've got to impact another person's life there. Um, I think a lot of the girls in our group have had sort of a similar story. The school of mines, I think the ratio of guys to gals is like 80-20 or something, 70-30. And that's kind of a new challenge for um, at least me, but I think a lot of us girls, just like actually finding women to build friendships with um, has been a real struggle. So um, a lot of us have, have had days where we really come to God and, and just earnestly pray to find a specific woman. And a lot of times that's before the potlucks that we have on Fridays. They're outreach potlucks, and we invite all the sororities and um, frat houses around us, all the people living in them. Um, so probably two or three weeks in, a girl named Megan showed up to one of those, and she's been my first and probably biggest answer to prayer this summer. I just asked to yeah, have a woman to connect with and love on that night, and I really thought that's where it was going to end. She ended up coming. She played volleyball. We got to talk to her a little bit. Um, yeah, but it ended up being bigger than that. A couple weeks later, it was the 4th of July, and a bunch of the crew got to go hang out with her at her sorority house. Um, just to watch the fireworks, which were happening like right above her. So that was really cool. Um, yeah, and then God's really broken her, I think, a lot of just like things that she could be putting her confidence in here. As far as I'm aware, she's not a believer, um, but just she's had a blood clot and other health problems this summer and just really taking away any confidence she could have in health and then also just like really getting to see friendships that come with um, yeah, just having a love of Christ in you. You should shimmer. <laughs> And so uh, one day she had a medical appointment, and Danny went out with her and helped buy a wheelchair and things like that. And uh, afterwards, she's like, oh, I just want to buy you guys all smoothies. And and so we ended up going, and we bought her a smoothie, and it was just the most amazing thing to her that, that we got a smoothie. 
And then so this past week, she went and she got the, she's in the hospital, got the blood clot looked at, removed, some kind of surgery thing. And um, and we ended up showing up with a smoothie from Jamba Juice, and it absolutely made her day. And kind of out of the blue, when we were we weren't even talking about a Bible study or anything, she's just like, "Do you guys do some Bible study or something? I've heard about that. I would I'd love to come and join that." And to me, it's just a real cool picture how sometimes God calls us to be really bold and just proclaim the gospel, and there's other times when we're just actively loving when someone people see something. And this was one of those cases where she just saw something different and. She really was was wondering about it, and so I think it's very exciting. The story's not done yet. We still get to see what God's going to do with Megan. So that's it. Um, yeah, so that's that's an awesome story. Both of those are, are great stories, and um, our kind of our last um, place that we've been able to do things and and um, really. Um, I don't know, show our, our love of Jesus and the light that, that is within us as, as a community. Um, we've been able to volunteer uh, this summer quite a bit, and, and uh, we went to the, there's actually a farmer's market in Golden, and, and it's kind of, I think it's run by the, the Chamber of Commerce um, in Golden, right? Is that correct? Um, yeah. Yeah, within the Chamber of Commerce. So basically they they all um, they all get together and run it, and, and it's, yeah, it's it's been really awesome because uh, they see us at wake up at 5:30 in the morning to help them out, and and uh, yeah, we've been able to really be excited and help them, and um, and so I think we have a, a real um, stamp on that community that we're leaving is just like these this group of kids that came and and helped out. Um, so it's been been really cool. Um, and then also just as a team, we've been able to grow as as a as a team. Um, I came into the summer not knowing everybody. Uh, now I'm leaving feeling like um, so much closer to each and every person. Um, yeah, I love all of them, and uh, it's it's a little sad to have to go, but um, we know that Jesus worked this summer, so it's it's really cool. Um, and then I'll just leave it to Chris to kind of close it up here. Um, so yeah, some of us have kind of contemplated uh, over the last couple of weeks just like what our infusion, um, like what it's come out to be and just like how to put a conclusion on it. It's hard to summarize, but, and specifically it's hard to summarize because there's no real, there's not like a rubric, a grading rubric when, when God is at work. You can't, you can't judge how well you've done or what, what's successful, what a successful infusion would have been. Um, so just thinking on that, I think this is kind of kind of the point was that each one of us came down to Golden, uh, was just able to bring faith and to express faith while we were here, and um, we didn't necessarily give anything up, but um, instead we we just gladly left our homes or apartments or whatever in in Fort Collins and traded that for dorm style living and community bathrooms, <laughs> frat house, um, and. Uh, we were trusting God. We we trusted God because we felt like He had a future for for Golden and and was working there. Um, and we got to express faith because um, almost all of us, um, say for a couple people, came down to Golden without jobs. Um, we were we were trusting God to provide. Um, we we were able to express faith by letting uh, our leaders and ultimately God set our schedule for the summer and put aside whatever we we would have done to have fun for the summer um, to like basically fill our evenings 
um, yeah, pursuing God and, and learning about Him and letting Him set our schedule. And um, so I think that's that's a big part of it. We, we wanted to set a foundation for a possible church plant, but also it was um, just really setting a good foundation in our own lives and hearts of faith um, for, for a full summer. And, um, yeah, I guess the last thing, we just want to thank uh, you guys for being our like our home church for the summer and all the support and prayers that we've got from you guys. It's really been awesome to be able to come here on Sunday mornings um, and unite with you guys. Um, so this is a verse I've just I read recently I've kind of been clinging to along the lines of um, just trusting God for, for what we were able to do this summer. It comes from Psalm 90. It says, May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And so we don't know exactly if a foundation for a future church plant has been set, but God's going to establish the work of our hands. Why don't we just, uh, if we could have the, just the Golden Infusion team stand and just a, a round of applause for them. And it's been a blessing having you all join us on Sunday mornings. And all right, thank you. All right. All right. Well, we, we've been blessed by your guys' faith and your heart there in, in Golden and what you're doing. And, you know, if God ever puts it on the heart, your heart to move to the Denver area, um, you know where to find us. So don't tell John Meyer I said that or, or Pat Sokol. Um, but, uh, no, anyways, it's, it's just been a blessing having you guys here. Um, you know, I'm going to introduce our our guest speaker here for this morning. And, you know, in some ways, uh, if, you're, uh, if your life has been impacted um, by being a part of a great, uh, great Commission church somewhere, it is highly likely that your life has been impacted indirectly or directly by, by this man here. In some ways, he's uh, a forefather in the faith uh, of many of us as a part of Great Commission churches here. And, you know, he was one of the original guys back in the days getting crazy for Jesus back in the 70s and through which many churches came to be and many, you know, some of your parents might have been impacted by some of the work that, that Mike and others did. And um, in a part of just getting the gospel out uh, and starting the Great Commission churches. Um, I first crossed paths with Mike back when I was uh, a part of a spring break team in uh, from Fort Collins. We sent a team down to uh, Phoenix, Arizona, or Tempe, Arizona. And it was back in the spring of uh, 1997, I believe. And Mike was leading a team to plant a church down there. And we thought it would be a great spring break thing. A lot of different uh, campuses sent people to converge on Tempe, Arizona, and we passed out thousands and thousands of flyers to promote the, the church starting there, and it was just an amazing time, but I, I, Mike, you know, probably doesn't remember me from, from Adam there, but I just remember being a part of that, and there's actually a couple of us in the room that I think were a part of that spring break team here. I think uh, Katie was there, Daryl, you were there, is that right? I was there. Um, Patrick, did you make that trip at all? Yeah, Patrick landed over there. So a number of us, our first spring break trip ever was to, to join Mike in helping kick off a, a work for the gospel down in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, a neat thing, a neat little story there that some of you might know as well is that um, 
Brandon Poland was also a part of that uh, spring break trip, you know, and it was his first spring break outreach ever. And he was down there uh, walking the streets, passing out flyers. And as you might know, he recently was recognized as a pastor and went down and led a team to help support the, the group that's there now. And so it's just neat to see how, as a student on a spring break outreach, he returned to that same place and in, in serving as a pastor now. And it's just neat to see what God's done. But um, anyways, so why don't you guys just give a, a warm welcome here to Mike Cater, and we'll, we'll turn, turn over the rest of the time to him. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and to have a chance to talk with you about what God is doing. I guess I should use the microphone, huh? Um, I can do that. I've got a clicker in one hand and a mic in the other hand. Um, you know, my wife and I have been starting churches in America for 40 years, and um, the first one I got to help start was in Pueblo at the college there. I was a student there, and... Um, I uh, met a fellow named Jim who had just come back from Vietnam. He had led hundreds of soldiers to Christ as they were on their way to the front lines to get shot up and their legs blown off by um, landmines and all that. And he came to Pueblo. This was after he had started a work in Greeley. And I was just in Greeley uh, a couple of nights ago. And I'd gone up to Greeley, I think this was in 69, to uh, help with that work. I was uh, kind of a really young Christian. Let's see, will this back up if I do that? Um, and so we got to help in Greeley and then in Pueblo that and I got to help start a little church that would meet in his home there and we'd break bread on Sundays and all that and um, that church ended up because it was a bunch of single young folks migrating to Lawrence, Kansas and started um, uh, helped uh, beef up the work there at KU, Kansas University but anyway then we were on a singing group uh, folk singing I played guitar and banjo and we uh, did some evangelism in Golden and uh, some evangelism in uh, different parts of Colorado and then Ames, Iowa and uh, and then I led a team with uh, Dennis Clark to Ohio State University and a church established there. Out of the Ames Church, I believe about 40 churches have started and out of the Columbus Church, I think about 35 have started, something like that. We moved on to the East Coast and started churches with Tom Short and um, in uh, at the University of Maryland, and then I led a team to Baltimore, started a church that's now called Grace Community Church up in uh, north of Baltimore County. There's two or three thousand people involved with that, and and they're doing missions around the world as well. But after 40 years of establishing churches uh, here and there, the Lord called my wife and I to go over to India. Now we had prayed for India a lot, and uh, but we became empty nesters, and the opportunity came to just move over there. And so uh, two years ago, we moved. And uh, novices to foreign missions, but we knew how to win and build people and stuff like that. And uh, by the way, before I forget, I want to introduce my niece, Stephanie. Could you stand up for just a second? I'm just uh, not to embarrass you, but this is a precious niece of mine who lives in Lakewood. And she said, hey, I'm kind of looking for a new church. And I said, well, hey, come over to Firehouse because I hear they're all fired up. Is that right? <laughs> and so anyway, uh, this is Stephanie. I hope you can meet her after. But the pictures I'm trying to show here are our grandchildren. And the reason I want to show you, I keep hitting the wrong button. Um, just wanting to go back. Um, wanting to show you is because people wonder, well, why would you want to live on the other side of the world 
if you have eight children here, which we do, and 17 grandchildren here, which we do. We just had one born a couple weeks ago, and that's why my wife isn't here this morning, because she flew to Phoenix to be with little E.T., Everett Thomas. And uh, I want to find one of those little glowing things you can put on your finger, you know, to to bring to him when I finally get to see him. But um, will it go back one or... Okay, all right, there was one before that, but that's okay. These are, uh, some of you might know Craig Wallach. He's been a great commission guy for decades. And my second daughter married him, and these are a couple of his kids. I was in Michigan at Ann Arbor last Sunday. We got to baptize uh, these kids. But people say, well, why would you want to live on the other side of the world when you have kids and grandkids here? Don't you love them? And the answer is this slide right here. The the fact that Jesus is the only way to heaven. There, God has one only begotten Son. His name is Jesus. And He sent Him to die for us. No one else has died for us. Can you think of anybody who came and died, came from heaven, died and rose again, paid for all your sins with His blood? I can't think of anybody else but Him. And He Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And the Apostle Paul elaborated on this here in Romans 10. This is from the New Living Translation. Look at this verse. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? The fact is, over 400 million people in India have never heard the name Jesus. How can they believe if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And I could look to my right and look to my left. Well, somebody ought to go over there. And God was looking at me saying, well, how about you, Mike? And I had all kinds of excuses. I'm older now. I've got, you know, grandchildren to pray for and care for and nurture, like the book of Deuteronomy says, and all these things. But you know what? We have a mandate from heaven. All of us do, frankly, to do something, to do what we can to help folks who don't know about Him to get a chance to hear about Him. Because in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Lord Jesus, You were slain. I like that verse the brother read. It said, You were slaughtered like a lamb. You were slain and you purchased for God with Your blood... People from every tribe, not just white folks, not just fair-skinned European folks. Every tribe, every language, every people and every nation. He already gave His blood for them. And then He elaborated here in John, uh, Revelation 7-9. God showed Him a vision of heaven and He wrote it down in the book of Revelation. What did He see? He said, look, behold... Such a great multitude which no one can count. That must be millions, maybe billions, around the throne of God from every ethnic group. The Greek language, New Testament, means ethnic group. Every ethnicity and all the tribes and all the people groups and all the languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. I think the white robes are speak of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That when you receive Him, 
you're clothed with his righteousness. And the palm branches, I think, are symbolic of worship. Just an ecstatic worship like, you know, on Palm Sunday before Christ went to the cross, what were the people doing? Palm branches in their hands, just celebrating the living Christ. And around the throne of God, this is how it's going to end up. Every people group will be represented there. Every language group will be represented there. Every tribal group will be represented there. And they'll be... Nobody can count them. Like the stars, like the sand of the sea. But look at this slide, because this is the present reality we face today. And this is a current updated map showing every unreached people group. This is actually the unreached, unengaged people groups of the world. And if we were live here on had Wi-Fi, I could spin this globe and show you that on our side of the world, there are three or four little red dots, a couple of them in Mexico, a few in Central South America. But you know what? Most of the unreached, unengaged people groups are on the eastern side of the world, the Asia side of the world. And which country contains most of the unreached, unengaged people groups? Can you tell me? Yeah, India. And uh, you know what unreached means is they're not reached. Well, what does unengaged mean? Yeah, it means there is not one Christian, not one missionary, not one church, not one organization. Nobody has engaged them with the gospel. And some of these little red dots represent 40 million people. For example, the Awan people. They are Muslim. They speak Urdu. And they're in North India. Forty million people that are unengaged. And India is filled with unengaged, unreached people groups. And when I saw the map, that was my mandate right there. I didn't need another sign from heaven. It was like, because I wanted to dive into the most needy place I could find. And so... India is the biggest, most massive hole of lostness in all the world. Yes, there are lost people everywhere and golden and everywhere else, right? (laughs) Right here in the neighborhood. But you know what? They've heard about Jesus. A lot of them have. Now, you've got to tell them again and again. I understand that. I'm all over it. I witness. I'm a witnessing animal. But, But before Christ got a hold of me, I was the shyest kid in my in my school. In fact, I was voted by my class, ninth grade class, shyest kid in school. I didn't even show up to get the award. <laughs> but you know what? That stronghold of fear was broken when I got to hang out with the guy that just, this fellow Jim that was in Vietnam I told you about. And uh, I just learned. In fact, here's what happened. I was in class, uh, college, um, 40 some years ago. And um I was a speed demon. I'd lost, I was going to lose my license because I had a motorcycle and I would be racing and got a lot of tickets and all that. So I had to move and get on the bus line. And so I would ride the bus. Well, so before I would leave his house, I was, I was living in his home. Um, he would say, hey, be sure and witness today. I'm thinking, yeah, okay. And because uh, I was saved, but kind of um, carnal, uh, worldly and afraid. So I'd go to my classes and I'd ride the bus home, come in the house. He'd say, hey, did you witness? No, I didn't. Next morning, hey, Mike, be sure to witness today. I said, I hate this. (laughs) 
And went to class and had a good intention that somehow, you know, I'll find this magic moment and I'll witness to somebody. And the day went by and I'm coming home. I'd forgotten about it. And I see the house like 100 yards away. I'm on the bus. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I didn't witness. And I didn't want to face him, so I didn't get off the bus. (laughs) I just rode right on past the house. And the bus circled around North Campus. And... uh, I saw a guy on the bus, and I went over to him, and I said something about Jesus. I don't know what. <laughs> Tell him I wasn't all that eloquent. Told him my testimony or something. But I witnessed. And I came back, got off the bus, went in the house. I witnessed! I witnessed! <laughs> and the stronghold of fear was broken. And that shows that we all need a little push sometimes. And some accountability. Somebody that loves us enough to hold us to the goals that we have in our heart, but somehow the flesh gets in the way. And since that, I mean, I still have a little bit of fear, you know, but stronghold fear was broken. And so when I have fear now, I just kind of push right through, start talking about the weather or, you know, the football team or something, and often it'll turn right to something about Jesus. Well, anyway, look at this map. I hope that you'll never forget. Um, And this is, I said, an updated, current, accurate map of the unreached, unengaged people groups of the world as we sit here today. Well... It's not God's will that they stay lost. Because the Bible says the Lord does not want anyone to perish. Aren't you glad you have a living God who cares? Who cares about these folks? Well, if He cares so much, then why are they still unreached? You know what? We can't blame God. We meet beautiful people all over India like these kids. We met them and you know what? They were worshipping these gods. Why? Because their parents worship them, because the grandparents worship them. They don't know any different. They've never heard of the living Christ who died for them. Other Indians worship Kali. Take a good look at Kali. Um, you know, they worship this one not out of love, but out of fear, because you take a close look, there's blood on her tongue. And this is the total opposite of the Lord Jesus Christ. After all, does the Lord Jesus Christ wear a necklace of human skulls? No. No. I don't think so. Does he wear a belt of dead human heads? Does he have his foot on a dead human body? You know what? This is the devil. You're seeing the ugly face of the devil right here. And I'm not kidding you. Behind every idol is a demon who hold these people in bondage and fear. They don't worship Kali out of love. They worship because they hope that if they give her some money or fruit or vegetables or incense or something, she won't kill her children, their children. And that's the bondage these hundred, uh, hundreds of millions of people are held in and have been for thousands of years. But we're setting them free by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that God wants everybody to be saved. Now take a close look. Does God want them all to go to hell? Does God say, I'll forget them. They're a bunch of heathens. They worship those stupid. Let them go to hell. You think that's God's attitude? No, because the Bible says God wants them saved. And I look in the faces of these kids and I see millions of them. I stand in the street as they swarm by and old ladies hobbling along and decrepit old men and diseased people. And I look and 
in their face. And I say, God, help me. How can we reach them? And God's showing us some ways I want to talk to you about. So, we meet girls like this, guys, like all the time. I, we were in East India, and it was dark. It got, had gotten dark, and so my wife and I thought, let's go shop to shop because there's some lights. And some of those shop people, people speak a little English. Our Hindi's not too good. And so I said, saw this girl, and I said, well, hey, have you heard about Jesus? She said, what? Who? N- no. I said, well, have you heard of Yeshua Masih? That's Jesus Christ in Hindi. No. So we got to share with her. We meet folks all the time like her. Well, so two years ago, we just jumped in. We landed over there, and I'd heard that Jesus films work and other gospel films. So we hooked up with the film team, and for $20 a night, they'll bring the gospel to a village that's never heard the gospel with their, their generator. That The $20 pays for the fuel for the generator because there's no electricity in many of these villages. It, it'll buy a cup of tea for the crowd, a tea and a biscuit because the program will go two, three hours. Without, let's give them a little tea. And uh, the, some dinner for the film team. About $20 to bring the gospel to a village where they've never, ever heard. They don't even know the name. Hey, I'll do that all day long. Right? And so now since then, we have our own generator and project and all that and our own film teams and they're rolling and while we're here they are showing the films and folks are coming to Christ well here's the crowd that night it was dark maybe 200 people there and then we invited them to come receive Christ and take a look look at their faces broken, contrite, surrendered to to the new God they just heard about and people when we tell them They say, you know, I've never heard this before, but in here, I know it's true. So here's my wife in the pink and back there standing on the street with a picture of Bible story. This is Noah and the Ark. Because they know nothing from nothing about the Bible, the Bible history, the true living God and what He's done on earth. So she starts with creation. She'll move to Noah and the Ark and work her way through the highlights of the Old Testament and then into the New Testament. And these crowds will stand there hour after hour. Some will come. More will come. Some have to leave. Um, Into the darkness this particular night, she and her translator there, Cushy, into the darkness. So I didn't have a flashlight. I took my little cell phone, opened it up, and shined a little light on her face. So, And the people stood there for another hour or two in the dark. And that's the way it is. Because they've never heard the good news. And I want to tell you something. If the Lord led you to come on a short-term team or something, you could do that very thing, and they would stand there all day and all night for you too. And people would come to Jesus Christ. And so they're not lost because God doesn't care. They're lost because we haven't mobilized the army of God. We haven't mobilized the Western Church to pray, to give, to go, to do what they can. And through my wife's storying, Bible storying, to these mostly illiterate people, people have come to Christ. Here she is in another neighborhood. A kid named Lucky got saved. He said, well, come to my place and tell the story. So here she is sitting there with the little pictures and stories and uh, telling some more folks. And here, her two translators, one on the left is Sonia, one on the right is Cushy, and they led this girl to Christ and they're baptizing her. Um, 
they've become way more than translators. My wife is discipling and training Indians to be effective. This is the first woman that uh, Sue led to Christ. Her name's Rajani. Her husband is hostile to the gospel. But Rajani, God saved the first time Sue drew out the bridge diagram and shared the gospel with her. And so even though her husband is still hostile, um, Sue was able to get a... It's hard to find water, clean water, safe place to baptize. We found this barrel. She, my wife filled it up with water, and here goes Rajani. <laughs> hey, you do what you can, right? You get it done somehow. Because the Lord said, lead them to Christ to make disciples and baptize them. And your job isn't done until you've baptized them. And then here she goes, and uh, coming up. And look at her face. Tears in her eyes. The joy of having obeyed her new Lord Jesus Christ. So now, even though her husband is hostile, Sue will, uh, when her husband's at work, Sue will take some bread and a little grape juice and go in there and have the Lord's Supper. And she loves it when Sue will come and do that. Well, out of Sue's storying, a church has started. This is a church my wife started. Now, she, if she was here, she'd say, Hey, I'm not the pastor. You know, we believe First Timothy 2 and all that. Uh, but a church has started because my wife, who's almost 70 years old now, has gone over there, you know, at the, you know, at great sacrifice. And we're asking Americans, more Americans to come. Now, I know that some people think, Oh, Americans aren't needed. I, I just have found that's not true because the Indian pastors there even, they don't know as much Bible as you do. Bless their hearts. They do the best. Most of them can't read. And so we're buying audio Bibles, um, taking as many as we can over there so they can hear it. Uh, But most of the pastors know very little. So they hear some crazy health and wealth gospel thing and they preach that kind of thing that like get saved and you'll get wealthy in a week or something so some Hindus will convert for a week and then go back say I've been I followed Jesus for a week nothing happened I'm going back that's the problem because they don't preach about repentance and faith and like that so do you see that you're needed if, I mean, if you understand some decent doctrine some basic foundational stuff you could speak some sense into the stuff going on over there but this little church they just sit on the ground they're poor um, they, spread, they spread a little tarp and a little rug and they sit on the ground and worship the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus is there every Sunday as he is here every Sunday right because he loves the Lord loves to come his into the presence of the believers well so my wife had made the, these Muppet puppets and um she thought, I want to do a vacation Bible school, so every night for a week or something. So she takes this puppet, she goes walking through the slum, and she's like the Pied Piper. whole bunch of kids following her. And some of the kids, she was, you know, her mouth, kind of, the little mouth opens and the arm waves and all this. And some kids said, is that a new American child? What is that? It's just a puppet, but, but you know what happens? Sue said, well, come right here tomorrow night because we're going to do Bible stories. 200 kids show up. And they came night after night after night hearing the Bible stories, learning the Christian songs, and putting their faith in Jesus. And the same thing would happen if you wanted to do it. And you could tell you what, those kids would come every night for, for a year, for years. 
There's nothing else to do in the slum. Sit there in the squalor. But here's what we're up against over there. And uh, here's what you're up against over here. The Apostle Paul said that we're in a war. A bloody, all-out war with the thief who came to steal, kill, and destroy. And so... Our struggle isn't against people. It's not against the politicians. It's not against, you know, the radicals that go around killing people. What's our struggle against? The demonic powers that are in full control and trying to gain full control. And we have the audacity to take the gospel of Jesus and come in there and um, dethrone these demons and push their power out? Absolutely. That's the mandate from Jesus Christ. And Satan is not going to give up India easily. And so there's a terrific, terrible fight going on. And so what did he say to do? Pray. Look at the last half of that verse, verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the Saints, that means the believers. And so I wanted to actually give you a picture of some of the saints on this brochure. And if you want one, take a brochure. I've got a couple stacks of them I, I can pass out. Just take, take one. And uh, so that maybe it'll help you to pray because we need prayer. We, prayer is the major weapon. That and the Word of God, the Bible. And if you'll pray for the saints in India... I'll be so grateful. I've been crisscrossing the nation for six weeks asking American Christians, please pray because your prayer moves the hand that moves the world. India doesn't have to stay lost. India can be safe. So my wife starts uh, women's Bible study groups. And this lady uh, was in one of her Bible study groups. And she's Muslim. This family is Muslim. And um, in India, 85% are Hindu, about 15% are Muslim. So there's 150 million Muslims, but they're a persecuted minority. So it's the best place in the world to reach Muslims because they're not going to impose that Sharia law and go around with a sword and chopping off your head and stuff like they do in so many other countries. Well, this lady, well, it can happen in India, but this lady... At the end of the woman's Bible study one day, she said, well, would you pray for me? Because, this is her words, the devil comes into me. And she didn't tell everything at first, but they said, yeah, we'll pray. And so they gathered and prayed for her, and she was set free from the stuff that was going on. Well, later, she got the courage to tell what was going on. She said, when the devil comes into me, I hear voices telling me, kill your son, kill your son. And she was helpless and she would start beating her son. And her husband was afraid to leave her alone with the boy. And But through prayer, in Jesus' name, she was delivered from that. And here she is now, a radiant Christian. Just got to get it to click here. A radiant Christian set free from the evil spirits that were controlling her. Well, she's not the only one. So many people in India are demonized. 
but they're being set free through prayer. Now, I want to tell you a story about Rajan. You see the guy in the white shirt with the green vest in back? Six months ago, seven months ago, one of his wives, he's got two wives, uh, she saw Sue in the street, my wife, and went up to her and said, I hear that you tell Bible stories. Would you come to my house? And she said, yeah, of course. So Sue would go back and back and back, telling stories, telling stories. And here's where this church got started, and here it is, sitting on the ground, having church. And Rajan, well, the husband, he one day he was sitting on that cot. See the cot in back? He was lying there on the cot with a blanket over his head. Like, hey, I'm not here. I'm not listening. I don't care about this stuff. But you know what? He was listening. And one day in the middle of church, he stood up right there, lifted up his hands to heaven and prayed this most fervent prayer in Hindi. Later, because I don't understand Hindi very well yet, but later um, I found out he was saying, I repent of being a drunkard. I repent of being abusive. I give my heart to you, Jesus Christ. And was saved. And I thought, now, he's kind of a show-off. We'll see. You know, kind of wanting to believe it, but yet, you know, well, you know what happened? He began reading the Bible all day and listening to the audio Bible we gave him. And his life has been wonderfully changed. And both of his wives have gotten saved, and some of his kids, they have five kids, and baptized. And so, six weeks ago, he loaded up his family to go home to their home villages in a state called Uttar Pradesh, a state that contains 200 million people. How many people are in Colorado? Four, five million, six, maybe. Our largest state is California with, I think, 30 million. This state has 202 million. Lost people, most who have never heard the gospel. He went home to his home village and started telling his testimony and his Wives and children were telling their testimonies in this very backward area where there's no electricity, no clean water. He calls us up two weeks later. He said, we think about 200 have come to Christ. And so immediately we sent Deepak, see in the orange striped shirt, Deepak and uh, Vijay over there to help and more were saved. And then Kenny Young, a great commission pastor, and I, we flew over there. It's a long, hard 18-hour drive. And he shows up to pick us up uh, in my van, which I'd loaned him to go there. And he's got a relative riding shotgun with a shotgun. <laughs> a double-barrel shotgun. And a, and a sash of bullets, uh, shells, 12-gauge shells across his chest. He says, we believe in protecting our guests. So, okay, fine. Well... <laughs> Well, so we go to the village, and we're giving the gospel, and more got saved. And one night, just about six weeks ago, gave the gospel, gave the invitation, people came to Christ, and then somebody's cell phone rang and said, tell the missionaries to get out of here quick. The Hindus are coming. 
and we've learned when they say that you go and we jumped in the van we're tearing across this field in the dark Rajan was driving and made it to a road and we're going down this road and every time we saw headlights we thought oh no they're going to block the road Lord help us and we, but anyway we got out of there but the Hindus did come to the village and they berated that crowd for three hours why are you changing your religion why are you changing your religion like that well 50 were scheduled to be baptized the next morning we came back the next morning and they had intimidated 42 of them and only eight were then ready to go ahead. And so we went the two-kilometer walk to the river, Rajan and his buddy carrying the shotgun, and another guy with a pistol loaded. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, if we live by the sword, we'll die by the sword. You know, put those guns away. And they said, we believe in protecting our guests. Well, okay, fine, whatever. Here we go. And, and, um, and Rajan baptized eight that day. And since then, more and more have been baptized. But the point of this story is that when you go home and tell your testimony, it can have powerful results. And your testimony is also powerful. Maybe it's not like his. He was telling he was drinking three bottles of liquor a day. Maybe that's not your story, but whatever your story is, it's powerful. And when you go home to the folks who know you best, that has the biggest impact of anything because it's irrefutable. You know, they knew what you were like, and now they know that your life has changed. And that's what happens. And when you think about uh, Mark chapter 5, for example, remember that story? in the Bible of the demoniac he had a thousand demons in him he was gashing himself with rocks running around naked screaming all night hanging out in tombs of dead bodies I mean that's that guy's messed up and he comes running up to Jesus and Jesus commanded those demons out and into those pigs and they all went in the sea and drowned right so now here's the man clothed and in his right mind but I think most modern American Christians would say, no, that guy's messed up. He's going to need many years of therapy. <laughs> and he wants to get in the boat and travel with Jesus. What's wrong with that? But the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of the harvest, and the master discipler says, you don't need to get in the boat with me. Go home and tell your testimony. Go back to your village and tell your family the great things God has done for you. Well, Jesus is the master therapist. And you understand that when you tell your story, what God has done for you, it makes you stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's what Revelation 12.10 is about, where it says, they overcame the devil by the word of their testimony. And I hope if you remember one thing today, tell your testimony. Learn to say it well and tell your story. Well, Rajan did, and now... In that primitive area where he's from, seven new house churches are springing up because one family goes home to tell their story. Well, we've got to pray for them because it's not only a primitive area, it can be a violent area. And um, Yeah, there it is. I want to just show you Rajan's baptism. It's just a one-minute clip. Thanks. And we need some sound if you can get it. The sound's turned down on the video. Oh. <laughs> 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 
आप अब किस्मा अपनी मर्जी से ले रहे हैं जोर जबरदस्ती अपनी मर्जी ऐसी प्रभु के पीछे चलेंगे आप बिल्कुल ठीक है प्रार्थना करते हैं प्रभु हम आपका धन्यवाद करते हैं प्यारे परमेश्वर पिता की भाई को आपने तैयार किया है मेरे प्रभु के बक्सिस माले प्रभु आपके परमेश्वर पिता पीछे चले प्रभु इसमें पूरी तरीके से परमेश्वर आप उनकी मदद करना सहायता करना प्रभु और आपकी आज्ञा के अनुसार प्रभु हमें पिता को आत्मा के नाम ऐसी बक्सिस्मा So that's Rajan, and uh, yeah, he's a young believer, but um, he said, Mike, uh, this is all in Hindi through translation, he said, Mike, you know, I'm a truck driver, I, I make $100 a month, but he'd stayed over in UP uh, a lot longer than he was going to because so many are getting saved he didn't want to come home he sent his family home he stayed there and through that he lost his job and he said I make a hundred dollars a month but I've lost my job he said if you could find a hundred dollars a month I'll go to UP and I'll stay and help these believers grow there are no churches there anywhere near for for about a hundred miles there are no Christians and I said, but Rajan, you're a young believer. You need to be discipled more. I said, I'll make a deal with you. I'll, I'll, I'll buy your train ticket. So now and then you can go over there and help them. And, uh, but we need to train you more. Well, here's what's going to happen. I'm probably going to hire him as my driver because the traffic is so horrendous and chaotic. And yeah, I really shouldn't be driving. I do. But uh, you know, he'd make a great driver. And then we'd have hours in the van every day to uh, I could disciple him through my translator. And that might happen. Uh, but pray for Rajan and pray for the little, the new little seven house churches. Now we've sent other teams over, and just uh, just uh, two days ago, I'll tell you that story in a minute. What are we up against to reach India? Um, a billion are lost. God doesn't want them to stay lost. I'm not willing to let them stay lost. Jesus' attitude was, over my dead body will they go to hell. Well, he did his part, and it's time for some Americans to stand up and say, over my dead body will they go to hell. You know what? You've got to die somehow. People that have cancer and heart disease and stroke and traffic accidents. It's about time somebody takes a little risk. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, is there any glory in uh, dying of uh, stroke? <laughs> There's a lot of glory in heaven from dying from a Muslim bullet or a Hindu sword. But that's probably not going to happen to any of us. That's so rare. It can, can happen. But, but Jesus' attitude was over my dead body. Will they go to hell? And I think, frankly, a lot of American Christians say it's just like out of sight, out of mind. It's like, oh, well, you know, I've got my Starbucks and I've got my career and I've got my this and that. Well, what about them? Because when we stand before the Lord, I think the Lord just might say, well, didn't you do anything? Couldn't you have done something? And there's things we can do, like prayer, like giving, like doing short-term teams, stuff like that. But what's needed to save India is five million new house churches. And so we're learning how to start churches faster, how to use new believers like Rajan. 
you know, sometimes we, it's like you've got to be saved for a hundred years before you can do anything. Well, whatever. You read the book of Acts and you don't see that's what Paul did. He started churches and raised up leaders very fast. And we're learning to do that. So we're teaming up with Indian believers, good men like... Arun and Balbir. Arun's in the white, Balbir's in the yellow. And uh, 18 months ago, these men had bachelor's degrees in theology, but had no clue what to do. They're sitting at home, I don't know what to do. And isn't that kind of the way it is? Even in America, a lot of Bible colleges, they teach you some doctrine, but you don't have a clue how to witness. I took a whole graduating class from a Bible college in India two months ago, trained them in the practical things, and I said, well, let's go witnessing. And we're going witnessing, and one girl with a bachelor's in theology, she said, I've never gone witnessing before. I've never witnessed before. She said, I like this. And I think, yeah, it's high time. Well, this is what Great Commission Christians are good at. This is what we have to offer, is how to win people to Christ, how to help them grow, how to disciple them, and how to start churches. And so I'm praying for hundreds, thousands to come and jump in somewhere and do what you can do best. So anyway... These guys started as my translator because I teach and train all day, every day. And uh, so Arun in the white was my translator and he loved the training we gave and he took it back to his village. 18 months ago he had no church. Today he has nine. And he told me the other day through his Timothys, through his disciples, he thinks by Christmas... They can have 40 new house churches in the villages around his place. Balbir in the yellow had one church 18 months ago. Now he's got several. And he is a great trainer. Here's Happy John in the blue. Don't you think they named him right? <laughs> Happy John, is. Uh, we met him 18 months ago also. And uh, he had one church. Now he's got 20 and through his Timothys, he's got a, uh, about a dozen disciples. They're multiplying churches. Well, he, uh, I, I loaned him my van, and he just went over to UP, Uttar Pradesh, where Rajan had done this. And he was following up and evangelizing over there. And I got an email two mornings ago from him. He said, Mike, we had a great time, but on the way home, we were attacked. And he said that uh, what had happened, they stopped halfway between UP and our hometown. Um, and they stopped for diesel fuel. And, and they gave out one gospel track there. And then some people came and said, we want more, we want some. And they gave some. And then there was a, a couple of small truckloads of Hindu worshipers, either on their way to or on their way from a Hindu festival. They travel in trucks. They just jam the bed of a truck full of people. And uh, what happened was they all wanted gospel tracts. And then they gave them and they were driving down this road. And the truck behind them started honking and flashing headlights. And they thought, well, maybe they want more. And they stopped and they did. They wanted more. They gave more. And then they started on the road again. And then another vehicle started honking and flashing lights. I think one got in front of them, one behind. I think what happened. And they thought, well, okay, they stopped. But this time, they surrounded my van and said, get out of the car. Well, 
they must have been trapped because this has happened to Happy John before and he knows that sometimes you don't want to stop. Well, he said, I'll get out. You guys stay in the van. He got out and they said, shall we kill you right here and right now? You're converting people. He said, we're just telling people our faith. They make their own choice. They went to the van and said, get out. The other guys didn't want to get out. They had a rod, um, wooden or steel, I don't know. But they started smashing my van. Um, and the guys thought, we better get out. They beat them up. They stole everything they could steal, cell phones, money, wallets. And uh, let them go by the grace of God. They, every one of them could have. been. It was in the dark, in the middle of nowhere. And Happy said, we're okay. So it won't be easy. We can replace their cell phones, whatever cash he had in his pocket. But we need to pray for them. I want to ask you to pray for them because, you know, that happens. It's happened to Happy John more than once. He was up in North Punjab and a lot had gotten saved. He's on the way home. Some guys waved him down on the road and he stopped. They surrounded the car, get out the car, trash the place. I trashed my camera I'd loaned him but happy he'll just keep going back and back and back and this is the kind of men we're teaming up with so I want folks in America to understand these are not lightweights they're poor they don't know a whole lot but they're willing to die for our Lord Jesus Christ and so what can we do you can help by prayer you can help by giving because these guys are so poor Happy's one of his best Timothys is named VJ who, who was one Deepak and VJ were beaten up with him VJ lives in a little room half the size of this stage with his wife and two kids holes in the wall holes in the roof one little light bulb one little fan no kitchen no bathroom that's where they live we give him $40 a month but he can't quite make it we give Happy John 200 a month, but he's struggling along. But just a gospel warrior. And we're finding more and more of these excellent guys that we can team up with. Well, what we do is we train believers. Because how are you going to reach a billion people? I can witness to a million, and it'll take 100,000 years. You know what I'm trying to say? So if we can mobilize the believers, that's what we're trying to do. And so I train every denomination, every organization. If you know them, I train Operation Mobilization folks, YWAM folks, uh, every denomination. And so we train them how to share their testimony. You could train them that. And then do you guys know how to draw a bridge diagram? You probably use that. Well, we do, but notice there's no words. Why? Because they can't read words. They can't write words. So, here the heart is the love of God, and we go through the gospel like this. And then I say, hey, it's your turn. Come up. Come up and share this. Draw the picture. Tell the story. So, here's the brave guy. He comes up out of the congregation, out of the crowd, um, telling the story. And then I give out um, notebooks and pens to everybody. And they'll say, oh, I can't. I say, take notes. They say, I can't read. I can't write. I say, well, just draw the pictures. And they'll say, I can't draw pictures. I say, come on. Yes, yes, you can. Come on, draw the pictures. And then after, I say, show me your picture. So here's the women's side of the tent. They have the segregation thing, the women on one side and the men on the other. Here's the women's side showing me their gospel picture. 
and here's the men's side, which was actually a different tent in a different city, but you get the idea. There'll be sometimes a uh, hundred women and a hundred men or something like that at the training. And I say, hey, now you are armed and dangerous. So go home to your village and tell the story. And they do. And then we ask them to make a list of all their unbelieving relatives, neighbors, friends, associates. And say, bring that list up front and we'll put all those lists of names on a table. Now those, most can't write, so they just make a mental list. But on an average training day, there'll be a thousand names on that table and we gather we lay our hands on their names and say Lord Jesus save these people and we give the list back to the folks and say now go back and tell your story so it's basic training but here's one fellow that we trained his parents were murdered by radical Hindus in the state of Orissa where many Christians are murdered all the time and um he got training and he said, well, I'm going back home to preach the gospel, to stand in my parents' shoes. And that's the caliber of people that we find. Not everybody's like that. But we also train not just to evangelize, we train how to follow up a new believer. And we use what's called the Ten Commands of Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord gave many commands, but we only have time to teach ten, right, in a couple of days training. And so um, we call it obedience-based milk of the word. And we also train in inductive Bible study methods so that they can feed themselves from the word of God. Well, we've been trained that if you get your body in motion with some actions and things, you can remember better because we got... A brief shot to train them all we can. So I say, hey, do this. Stick your arm out and do like this. Make a U-turn like this. And that means repent. Okay. Can you do that with me this morning? I'll, I'll train you. Do this. Hold your arm out and go, repent. That means repent. means turn around. You've been running from God? Turn around. Run to God. All right. In uh, Hindi, it's tobakaro. Can you say that? Tobakaro. There you go. Tobakaro. Then we go like this. Believe. Hold our hands. Believe. And uh, in Hindi, Vishwashkaro. Vishwashkaro. Hey, there you go. And then we go, confess Christ is Lord. Yeah. Where's Paula? I was asking Paula how to get saved early this morning. She said, she, she said you got to believe and confess Christ is Lord. Are you in the... Oh, she's in the uh, child care. Um, so... Uh, Anyway, Tobakaro, come on, do it with me. Tobakaro, Vishwashkaro, Angikarkaro. Well, you're ready to come to India right now. <laughs> you know as much Hindi as I do. Um, then we do uh, prayer, Pratnakaro, and eat God's word, Vajin Kao, and be filled with the Holy Spirit, Atmanalparo, and uh, sin no more. You want to learn this one. This is this is fun to do. Jesus in John 5 and again in John 8 said, sin no more. Well, how do you do that? Well, Paul the Apostle in Ephesians 6 said, well, you use the armor of God and the weapons of God. So we've got the sword of the Spirit. Do this. Sword of the Spirit. Shield of faith. Through which you can crush the devil under your feet. <laughs> right. So, so we go. Atma um, Ditalvar. You're so good. It took me six months to learn that. Atma Ditalvar. Vishwash Dital. 
Shaitan Nukuchilo. <laughs> Shaitan Nukuchilo. That's one way to say it. Uh, Vikram says it a different way. But, you know, you can't crush Satan sitting down. So you got to stand up for a second. All right. Just for a minute. Humor me. So do this uh, really loud. Admadi Talvar. Vishwasdi Tal. Shaitan Nukuchilo. There you go. Now you're awake. <laughs> Have a seat. But the idea is to train the commands of Christ. And we do go make disciples. That one's jow, go, jow. Chile, but now means uh, make disciples. We tap our watch because it takes time to make disciples. And uh, uh, many, many of the last one we teach is break bread together. Now they use for their bread when they have the Lord's Supper roti, which is like a tortilla. And so we go roti torno. Can you say that? Roti torno. Yeah. And... Together, having fellowship together. Just like you guys were out in the lobby for a half hour this morning, right? Eating the donuts and the bagels and having fellowship together, right? Roti torno. Ecarte hovo. You're definitely ready to come to India. All right. So I want you to watch Vikram. We can roll that uh, training session just to give you a picture of what I do and what my trainers do. To learn some basic doctrine and to learn how to train other people. So I tell them, I say, hey, today I'm your trainer, but tomorrow you're the trainer. And I give them the notes in Punjabi and Hindi so they can take it and go home and train. And they do. And so uh, the next slide uh, tells a little that uh, what I've been doing is multiplying trainers because now Vikram and Arun and Balbir and Happy, they're all trainers. And we got to mobilize the body of Christ. Because there are Christians, a few, and we've got to train them how to train others so India can be saved. Well, in the last 18 months, year and a half, me and my trainers have trained 7,000 believers in settings like you just saw in 120 locations. So I live out of a suitcase pretty much. I'm traveling and training, and so are they. Vikram, uh, who you just saw there, Sometimes we'll have to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning to get on a bus and ride a series of buses for eight hours to get to the training site and then teach all day and then get on another bus and go to the next site. And I pay Vikram and those guys $12 a day. Plus their bus fare, which is a couple bucks, plus their evening meal. And uh, we give everybody a pen and a pad and just we're trying to multiply trainers. And so 120 locations... 
and we train in evangelism, follow up, discipling, and church planting. Now, we phone call all the trainees that we can. A lot don't have a cell phone, and sometimes the phone's disconnected and this and that. Well, we were able, because I have three part-time phone callers who survey the trainees just a month after we train them, because we want to find out, are we doing any good? And, is, and, you know, did they learn and are they doing it? And so we phoned 2,000 of them. Um, with a 12-question survey. One of the questions we asked is, well, in the month since we trained you, how many people have you shared the gospel with? And we asked, well, how many of them got saved? And how many new villages, empty, unentered, unengaged villages, have you taken the gospel to in the last month? These are their answers. A compilation of their answers in the next, which I forgot I have the clicker. Got to turn... To the next slide. And I went too far. The 2,000 we phoned, surveyed, a month after they were trained, told us that they've shared the gospel with 70,000 people. Some are doing one-on-one. Some are doing open air. Some are doing evening crusades. They've shared the gospel with 70,000 people. And we asked them, how many of them professed faith? They said 18,000 of them. We said, how many villages have you entered? They've said 400. Well, there's 800,000 villages. So we've got to accelerate. So this year, 2011, I put more trainers on the field. And we're working hard, and we will train 10,000 this year. We're halfway through the year. We're on track to see that done. Through those trainees, given not just a month but a full year, they will reach one million Indians. And 250,000 will profess faith in Christ. 6,000 empty villages will be engaged with the gospel. 4,000 new house churches will start. It's going to happen. We're working as hard as we can. We don't sleep very much. And we're on the road constantly. I don't see my wife very much in India, but it's okay because I get to get back on Sundays and help her with this church and this house churches. What's happening here? I'm not a fool. I'm not a novice. I've been at this for 40 years. I understand evangelism, conversion, church planning. And I understand reports. That's when reports are too, uh, that seem to be fishy, we probe on that person. We probe on that report. I want accurate numbers. I want accurate results. And I believe what I'm reporting to you today is an under-report. The real results are higher than this, but we discount whenever we have a suspicion. And I'm telling you, God is doing something through an ordinary person like me in a crazy, wild place like India because God is sick and tired of these people staying lost. And, and we, you and me, and Western Christians have a huge part to play through prayer, through giving, and through coming. And yes, I know your work here is so vital and I bless you and I, I tell people about Firehouse because I've heard so many good things. Keep up the good work. And yeah, we are losing America. I know that. I know that of the youngsters, only 4% now claim to be born again Christians. We have a problem here. And uh, yet, we got to just win both sides of the world, right? That's what's got to happen. And so if you can invest a little bit, like if you'd give up one Starbucks a day, You could make a huge difference in India. If you would just 
do what the Spirit of God asks you to do. This is going to happen, but this will be a drop in the bucket. We got to multiply. And so when I saw what was happening, I asked each of my trainers to not do anything alone. Take a Timothy with you. Take a disciple with you and train him up so that by September we can have eight trainers on the ground. And by next spring we can have 16 trainers on the ground. And honestly, we won't have a shortage of trainers. We're going to have a shortage of money. And so I talked to Americans saying, if you can help through prayer, if you can help through coming. Uh, And last spring we had a constant stream of small teams coming. You can stay in our house. You can eat our food. We'll equip you so a translator is by your side. And you can do just what my wife does or just what I do or just what Tom Short does or his daughter does. Him, Her and her husband come and they preach to hundreds of people every night. And so please pray about it. And I'll tell you what, uh, your pastors will thank me because you'll come back here a better man, a better woman. You'll come back here with a new fire. Is that possible in the firehouse? (laughs) Maybe. But pray about that. And if you can't come, please pray about giving because the trainings, like you saw Vikram do, the average cost of putting one on per day is $125. Because we buy their lunch and I pay the trainers. And so $125 a day... If we have five trainers, that's about $600 a day. And you can see how it's going to multiply. And we need to raise more support for that. And so if you have a brochure on the back of it, it tells you where you can give and how you can give. And you can hand a check to me. One brother here handed me a check this morning. God bless you. And you can do that. All your tax, all your gifts are tax deductible. Now we're doing two things. We're starting Great Commission Churches, but we're training the body of Christ at large. And there I get to inject Great Commission doctrine and values into all the denominations of North India. Now that's a hoot. They may not have the Great Commission name, but they'll have the Great Commission heart. That's our goal. So the next slide, and this is my last, is just information about, which I forgot that I'm the guy with the button. Whoops, there's my kids. We started a, a ministry, what am I doing? called RUN International. It's a ministry that runs out of a Great Commission church in Ohio that I started in 1988. Why RUN? The Lord gave me this on an airplane. Because the Bible says, record the vision. Write it on billboards so those who see it will run. And I'm saying to America, let's run. We can't walk. A billion will go to hell this in the next 30 years if we don't reach them. Let's run. And of course, there are many other verses like 1 Corinthians 9. Run that you may win. I want you to win. I want you to shine like the stars in heaven. And Daniel 12 says, those who lead the many to righteousness will do just that. Shine like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. I want that for you. But RUN stands for Reach the Unreached now. Not a hundred years from now, not a thousand years from now. Let's just reach and we can finish the task of the Great Commission in the next 20 years. We know how to do it. You can email me at mikecater at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. So, Rich, thank you. Pastors, thank you for letting me share. And I'm all finished, so I'll turn the mic over to whoever wants it. Thank you.
Rich, I forgot one thing. If you'd like our email update, once a month I send an email update. Put your name on here and your email address. I know it's late, but uh, start that around. Thank you, Mitch. We'll just, we'll just pray here to wrap things up and pray for Mike. And oh Lord Jesus, we just uh, thank you for, for all that you're doing throughout the world. Lord God, we thank you for Mike and Sue over in India and the, the work, the opportunity you've given them there. God, we just pray that you would protect them, protect them, uh, their lives, protect them spiritually, emotionally, physically. God, we just pray that you would continue to um, multiply disciples, Lord, bless their work, um, give them an efficiency and uh, just an effectiveness in training up these people to share the gospel and to be disciples in India. And Lord, I pray that you would just um, help us to respond to anything you put on our heart to, uh, to team up with Mike over there. And God, we just ask you would help us to, to pray for them, Lord, just to faithfully pray over here um, for them. God, I pray you give us opportunities to go and, and visit and, and get a taste of that over there. And also, Lord, I just pray you'd help us to uh, invest the, the money that you give us here. Help us to be good stewards of that, Lord. And, and um, just even to be able to invest in this amazing thing you're doing in India there. But God, we just pray you continue to protect and anoint Mike and Sue and their work. And God, we just thank you that he uh, could be here with us this morning to share and give you all the glory. And, and we just thank you and we pray all this in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. 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 Right. Thank, thank you, Rich. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate thank you. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you next week.